0: We are. (sighs) Okay. New episode crazy week <laughs> yeah your request has been on the list for so long dr alicia alicia gutierrez thank you so we much love for requesting you this. this is such a good request person too well and it's fun because
1: all the sources that i had for my person mm-hmm. are from the woman we interviewed right, about for her book, for her book yeah. that she wrote on this so unfortunately we didn't get a copy of the book so and the widget was expired or whatever um so i was just going off of like her interviews and stuff but i was like Damn, I forgot how crazy this story is. <laughs>
0: yeah, and my request was from Allison Bellison. So that's exciting. Cheers to you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're really happy to be here for this. Yes. So if you didn't know
1: what you're listening to, this is history On
0: the Rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But
1: keep in mind, we're drinking the entire time.
0: And we are anything but historians we're <laughs> teachers we're radon inspectors <laughs> we're moms we're newly minted ants yes um but we are not historians
1: no but we do have a new podcast fan born this week just yesterday i know baby felix welcome welcome to the family
0: welcome <laughs> nephew felix we'll get you a her story on the rocks onesie ah, we totally should what if we did that <laughs> we should that's really upsetting olivia don't listen to this part stop listening um, turn it off on maternity leave when you have so much time <laughs> you um, lazy mom
1: but maybe you're also a new mother maybe and you're changing diapers you don't know what's going on. Also, you're not you're lazy if you listen to the podcast. No, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but you're sleep deprived, you're tired, or maybe you're having a perfect postpartum experience. Yeah. Either way, you got a new baby. You want to be taking pictures of the baby, not looking up what these women look like.
0: Never. <laughs>
1: so, we're going to describe
0: what they look like. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? So I'm doing Hydna of Skion. Oh. And because ancient Greece was an area influenced from like a vast number of regions around uh-huh. the world, it's really hard to say what anybody looked like in terms of hair and skin color. But we do know that Grecian people today do share similar DNA nodules mm-hmm. to people from ancient Greece. So we can assume that this woman probably had very dark hair um, and olive skin. There are busts and statues of Hydna. She has a, a flat nose with the curly hair that you kind of see on Sappho mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is tied back from her face with almost like a hairband tie around it. She wore loose flowing dresses that were often tied at her waist, but sometimes... In her statues, she's completely nude, sometimes in fan art of her. She's in more of a bikini-style top and Mm -hmm. a flowing skirt bottom. And almost always, Hidna is painted or drawn underwater.
1: (gasps) Okay, I did not expect that twist. Yeah, (laughs) so can you tell me who
0: you're doing and what she looks like?
1: Yes, so Anne Cooper Hewitt is remembered as a 20-year-old woman. She had kind of a long oval shaped face that was kind of flat. She had small wide set eyes. She had full pouty lips, long, thin, arched eyebrows and short hair that was often slicked back. It was naturally blonde, but she dyed it dark to spite her mother. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And she wore fitted dresses adorned with a big fur coat and a fedora style hat with one side pulled over one of her eyes.
0: I want a ticket to this woman's grunge garden. I, Unreal. I think she's great. I want to like hold grudges with her. Yes. I want to be friends with her while she's angry. (laughs) I want her to call me and I just want to get on her level and just be so pissed at everyone.
1: Pissed at the world. I love that about her. All right. So do you want to know what you're about to drink?
0: I really do. It looks delicious. Delicious. I'm so excited for it. Okay. This is called hands off. Ooh, <laughs> somebody better. Honestly, it is vanilla vodka,
1: triple sec juice from half a lemon, a teaspoon of brown sugar and a dash of cardamom. And you garnish. <gasps> Wowza. With lemon And rosemary. Cheers. Cheers. Mmm. That's delightful. I love it. It's also a brown cocktail, which outside of espresso cocktails, we don't really see. Sometimes
0: with... Apple cider, mm. has, mm. which I'm actually using apple cider tonight, Oh, is perfect. funny, Two but yeah, brown cocktails. Brown, brown. Wow. <laughs> Welcome to brown town. Um. Ew. <laughs> I hate that. Brown city. Yeah, that's bad. Um, okay. My, my
1: city? <laughs> Your city? Mm-hmm. Brown city. <laughs> Anyways, uh, delicious cocktail. I feel like I'm redeeming myself. Yeah, um, this is great. What do you know about Ann Cooper Hewitt?
0: So she's a socialite. Uh-huh. I think she was wealthy in California. I think West Coast. Based on Alicia, I'm thinking West Coast. <laughs> um, I think that her mother illegally sterilized her without her knowledge. And then she went to court over it. But that's all I know about her. I don't know about the rest of her life. Okay. Um, I know we interviewed a woman about her, but that was years ago at years this point. Years mm-hmm. um, My daughter dressed up as her mm-hmm. on one of the March photo ops that we do. And that's really all I know. I don't have any other intel. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Tell me all about it. So as I said in the intro,
1: um, we interviewed Audrey Claire Farley, who wrote the book The Unfit Heiress. And uh, so basically, though, what I did was I looked at a lot of like her interviews about the book in like Town & Country Magazine, Grunch.com, Salon.com. She also did a great episode of the Criminal Podcast, which I listened to. Mm-hmm. And that had a lot of like the information. So if you read like that one is so well put together and edited, and it's like an interview with Audrey Claire Folley, with Phoebe Judge, like explaining the story. Cool. It's so cool, good. Cool, cool. So anyways, let's get into it. Anne Cooper Hewitt was born around July 31st in 1914 in Paris, France. Her parents were Peter Cooper Hewitt, and Marion Andrews bougier But when Anne was born, Marion was not married to Peter. <laughs> Anne was the result of an extramarital affair. Um and apparently this was a very like steamy affair cuz when Peter found Marion, he just like fell head over heels with her, like was like I hate my wife. I'm now obsessed with this woman. <laughs>
0: All I want is someone to be obsessed with me. I know. Is that
1: too much to ask? Is that too much to ask for? Um, And eventually, a couple years after Anne was born, Peter did divorce his wife and marry Marion. So I think he was like, I don't know, her like second or third husband. Um, Peter was an electrical engineer and he was the inventor of the mercury vapor lamp, among a few other things. This lamp earned him over a million dollars, but he did not even really need that money because he already had that good old fashioned family money because he was the grandson of Peter Cooper. So, this is not Peter Cooper Hewitt, <laughs> this is just Peter Cooper, who built the first steam engine in the US, the Tom Thumb lo- locomotive, which, like, I remember seeing that in my history books. Yeah. So, his grandfather built the Tom Thumb, which, of course, made him one of the wealthiest men of his time. And then he got a lot of side money. Because he invented Jello,
0: <laughs> J E L L
1: O Jello. Yeah. So apparently wow. he was like, "Get those horses off of those wagons. We have trains now, so let's put those horses to use." How much horsepower does gelatin. it take to make
0: some Jello? <gasps> Come, <on>. um, <laughs> I. This is fascinating. So he had family money, mm-hmm. and then he also is kind of his own, yes. um like entrepreneur style
1: man. Yeah. So he is also an inventor. Got yeah. It. So. Didn't even need the money from his inventions, but he got it anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter loved Anne and just absolutely doted on his only daughter. Did
0: he have kids with his previous wife? No. Oh, so This is his only child.
1: Okay. But when Anne is seven years old, Peter dies. Yikes. And this devastated her. She later told a magazine, he was one of the few precious gifts in my life. He was a tall man, very kind and gentle. I think of him walking beside me, suiting his long gait to mine. It seems to me I spent all my happy times with him.
0: As a short person, that's so
1: kind. I know. And so this just left in Marion, who did not have such a lovely relationship. It seems that Marion did not really want to be a mother. Even when Anne was just a baby, her mother was not what you would call involved. <laughs> she thought that Anne was an ugly baby because, well, I mean, and Anne was like, like premature so she was little she needed a lot of medical care babies
0: look like squishy gremlins (laughs) They also look like
1: squishy gremlins
0: it's not your fault (gasps) even if they're not premature like you know so it just
1: (laughs) feels so bad for her so she was like "Ugh, that baby is hideous so she just like left the baby to be cared for by the maids and peter i
0: hate that during the most
1: critical hour well yeah and then if the maids and peter were not there she would just leave anne in her cribs crying for hours that's terrible horrible that's
0: like what scars people and like yeah. bends their personality yeah so when peter died there was no one to look out for Anne's best
1: interest and marion quickly just like ramped up her like i'm just gonna call it abuse of her and like just locked her away
0: Ugh.
1: she prohibited Anne from leaving their home or making friends with other children Anne said, Mother didn't have one spark of affection for me, and she refused to permit others who did. She always called me an imbecile and an ugly duckling. Marion told everyone who came into contact with the poor girl that Anne was a moron, so don't listen to anything she says. Marion would verbally abuse Anne, and unfortunately she physically abused her as well. She had cigarette burns on her arms and a scar on her forehead from when Marion broke a wine glass on her head.
0: Wowza. Um, I break a lot of wine glasses. Yeah, but not Not on on people's heads. heads. Mostly it's just me dropping them. Yeah, honestly.
1: So Anne was totally isolated and left to make friends with just the few people who were around her, which were typically the help, which will unfortunately come back to haunt her later. I mean, she had like one friend when she was a kid at some point. It was like a little boy and they were like in her room and just playing like on the bed like playing pretend or whatever and like marion came and she was like eight years old right and marion came in and was like you were having sex with him
0: like this is she doesn't even know she doesn't know what sex is like like a baby my gosh
1: it's just it's so fucking sad so and like people could like see what was going on the staff at one of the hotels that they were living in even took pity on the young girl and the staff tried to throw her a birthday party because they were like No one is going to do this. It was the only birthday party that anyone had thrown her since her dad died. It was the staff of the hotel. And as soon as Marion found out, she shut the whole thing down. And she was, like, screaming at Anne and the staff, which, of course, mortified her. I mean, there's, like, a fucking birthday cake there. And she's, like, screaming at her to, like, get in the apartment. Like, it's just, it's so sad. And this was Anne's life. She was an heiress set to inherit a 4 million dollar fortune which is over 60 million dollars in today's money but just totally trapped and fucked over by her mother.
0: This is when you kill your mom. <laughs> <laughs> Gypsy I- Rose. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. It's just it's really it's it's fucking sad.
1: And I I don't know I I just that's why it's interesting that you said socialite and I'm like she should have been a socialite Mm, I just remember she was wealthy I guess in my head
0: she should have been a socialite, and that's why I
1: think heiress is a good term to use for her because she was set to inherit this vast fortune uh like 21 was the legal age so Mm. um but they they, like she hadn't inherited it yet but she had a trust fund
0: but they Rapunzeled her Yes. She's like locked away. She's locked away. In these massive hotels. Her mom is using the money. Uh-huh. Or can her mom not oh, use the
1: money? Her mom's using the money already.
0: And is any of the money left to the mom or it's all left to Anne?
1: We'll get into that. Okay. I see. Okay. But shit really hit the fan in 1936. Mm, so As it does. Now they're living in San Francisco as you said, on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Anne was 20 years old, and one day she's out to lunch with her mother because, frankly, who else would she be out to lunch with Mm because she has no friends. And they're talking about Anne's future, what she might do for a career, who she might marry, what was she looking for in a future partner when suddenly she felt a horrible pain in her abdominal area. Her mother rushes her to the hospital where their family doctor, Dr. Tilton Tillman, greets her at the door saying, So I hear you have appendicitis. And according to Anne, she was like, he never touched my abdomen. He didn't examine me. He just said, you have appendicitis when I walked in the door. (laughs) Suspicious. So then she was led not into an examination room, but into another room where an alienist, which is an early 20th century term for a psychologist named Mary Scaly, began to ask her civics questions. Why did the pilgrims come to America? What is freedom the, of religion <laughs> what is the duration of a presidential term four years what is the longest river in the united states mississippi when was the battle of hogwarts just kidding when was the, <laughs> when was the battle of hastings <laughs> 1066 <laughs>
0: somebody
1: <laughs> check me on all those facts <laughs> i feel like except for the last one you were right Wait, when is
0: the battle of hastings
1: i don't know you said 1066 yeah is that right I what is the battle of what what is that battle I, listen i assumed it had something to do with America. Girl, <laughs> I can't you. wait for this answer.
0: <gasps> Allie, motherfucker! Damn, <laughs> listen, girl. I actually do have a degree in history.
1: Wow. <laughs> I was like, you are seven hundred years off. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a battle in, like the Revolutionary War. No, insane. <laughs> so
0: I'm really proud this of doctor does
1: really good. <laughs> so this doctor is asking her all of these questions, and she's like, and all she can do is say, why. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you asking me these questions? I'm sick. Like, what is going on? And when she did, so she's not answering them. So they're marking them as incorrect. Not like didn't answer, just marking them as incorrect. Oh,
0: not like N.A. No,
1: and even when she did answer the questions, they were like, not quite right. Like, for example, she was asked what the colors are of the American flag. What would you say? Red,
0: white, and blue. Yeah, they said.
1: Mm, that's not right. White's not a color.
0: Oh, stop it! <laughs> so this is the fucked up. This what is, is it red, up. blue, in the absence of color. <laughs> red, blue,
1: and ivory. <laughs> um, it's just like fucked up, you know. So are they gaslighting her right now? Oh, yes, for so sure. They. Are- Finish the civics exam. And they go, great. So you're going to need your appendix out. We're going to schedule you for four days from now. Which anyone who's ever had appendicitis knows that, like, that's not how it works. You'll die by (laughs) that. You don't just get to go home and come back a couple days later. That's insane. So she comes back four days later. And they take out her appendix. The surgery was carried out. She stays in the hospital for a few weeks to recover. And almost immediately, Anne starts to notice something a little odd about her stay at the hospital. She overheard employees talking about her and referring to her as the idiot patient. And then she heard a nurse say she doesn't suspect a thing. Anne later testified, I learned then that my mother and Dr. Tillman had told everyone that I was a mental case. I discovered that I had undergone a salpingectomy, having my tubes removed Along with my appendix. So she goes, my appendix did not need to be removed. But they took that out as well, Mm. I guess, to cover their tracks. Sure. Um, And the theory is that since they were talking about, like, her future, Anne's mother was, like, this is the time. And, like, spiked her drink. And so, like, made her sick. Yeah. Because it wasn't just coincidence, obviously. Like, she must have done something like that. So, yes. Anne was sterilized without her knowledge. And obviously, without her consent. And the reason Marion was allowed to do this was because of that weird session she had with the alienist. Those questions were to determine if Anne was, quote, feeble-minded. And of course they found out she was feeble-minded because, spoiler alert, Marion had bribed the doctors to make sure that this happened. She paid them $9,000 to make sure that her 20-year-old daughter would never have children. After Anne's discharge, she went home and she was kept prisoner in her room. My mother made me act as my own maid. Not one housekeeper entered my room during my convalescence. I was forced to live with little more than the bare necessities or the comforts of a poorhouse waif. The telephone and the reading lamp had been removed. She couldn't communicate with anyone, and she was barred from having any access to newspapers. At mealtime, she'd hear a knock at the door and open it to find a maid holding some paltry, unappealing dish, perhaps a biscuit without butter or jam, or a cold leg of chicken with a few lifeless spears of asparagus. The maid would wait for her to take the plate and then relock the door behind her. So Anne is isolated. She's in prison. She's imprisoned in her home. And she was like, this is not right. So she sets out to get justice. I don't know how she got out. I don't know. Like, I couldn't get a clear answer, I guess, without, like, the full book on, like, how she got out. But she soon held a press conference when she announced that she would be suing her mother for $500,000 for sterilizing her without her consent. This case made quite a splash across the newspapers at the time and put the forced sterilization of women on people's minds. And why was this the case that caused an uproar? Well, of course, because it happened to a wealthy white woman. woman. (laughs)
0: Yeah, of course. So...
1: We have talked a lot on the show about eugenics. It was an extremely prevalent belief at the time. People believed that the bloodlines and racial purity could be, you know, achieved by only having desirable people breed. So it started off with some what they would call positive eugenics, which was encouraging wealthy white women to have more children. And then they're like, that's not really going quick enough. So like, why don't we just go into what is now called negative eugenics? And we're going to start sterilizing people that we don't want to have children. Sure. This
0: and immigrants, people of color, people who are feeble minded, quote unquote, et cetera. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And really, like a lot of it was poor women because they really had this idea that. If you were poor, that was like a biological trait. (laughs) It's your fault. It's your fault. And if you are poor, you're just going to have more poor children. And that's going to, like, you know, keep more poor people that the rich people have to pay
0: for. They're really calling out the problems with capitalism. (laughs) Yeah, Like, unintentionally.
1: (laughs) So, and of course, it was all based in, you know, white nationalism, conflating mental, moral, physical defects, targeting Poor, disabled, substance dependent, sexually transgressive people, you know, just again, like we said, people that they feel like are violating the gene pool. Ugh, shut up. It's so fucking annoying. More than 60,000 women were forcibly sterilized during this time period. And we'll get into like, because like I'm just talking about like this like <laughs> small time period. Right. So there are more that get sterilized when we will talk about. Um. But of course, because Anne is a wealthy white woman, this is making the papers because now it's kind of like, well, why was she? People don't understand. They're like, well, why was she sterilized? Because there's nothing about her that should be stopped from reproducing. Like, aren't those the people that we want to be reproducing? <laughs> we
0: want more of that one. Right.
1: We <laughs> want more of the wealthy heiresses, don't we? Oh my God. <laughs> it's so gross. It's so, I. it's so disgusting. Um. And that's why it was so it, it was so crazy. So Anne argued that her mother sterilized her in order to earn the entire inheritance from her father. So in his will, one third of his wealth was left to Marion, while the remaining two thirds would go to Anne. But if Anne died without bearing any children, all of the money would go to Marion. So that. Is why this happened.
0: Her mom's trying to keep the money.
1: She wants the whole kit and caboodle. She does not want Ann ma- a- 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 to come of age and and, and receive her inheritance. Because at this point, she hasn't received it yet.
0: I mean, but uh, there's enough to spare. There's enough to go around. There's $60 million in today's money. Everybody will be fine. Everybody's going to be fine. <laughs> it's okay.
1: Jesus. So, and why her age is so important is because, number one, in a few weeks, she was going to be 21. So, not only would she receive her inheritance in total, but Marion wouldn't have any power over her, like... Power of attorney. Attorney, type, yeah. Yeah, so that, this was the last time she was going to be able to um, make a decision on her daughter's behalf. Sure. And... Then the second part is like, well, Anne's still not dead, so you're still not getting it. We don't think that she was trying to kill her, but Marion truly thought that she was going to outlive her daughter. Because like, since she was premature, Anne did have a lot of bronchial issues, so she was like often like in the hospital and stuff. So she was like, that girl's going to die. Trust me. Um, and maybe if she didn't die, she would have killed her. We'll never know. Because this woman is a monster. <laughs> so Marion and the doctors were charged with mayhem which is the act of unlawfully removing a part of the body, resulting in disfigurement or uselessness. That's
0: the literal vocab word for that, is mayhem. Isn't that wild?
1: I like that. I like it too. I'm
0: glad that exists.
1: (laughs) And when Marion heard the charges, which, if convicted, could carry a sentence of 14 years, (gasps) she fled to the East Coast. (laughs) Wow, real far. Mm -hmm. So before any official legal proceedings began, the press, of course, was so obsessed with this case, it was a tabloid sensation. So personal details about both mother and daughter were all over the press. It was almost like they were in the court of public opinion before they ever stepped foot in a courtroom.
0: Well, yeah, when you're that wealthy and you're this is like tabloid splatter at this point.
1: Stories of Marion's five marriages and her financial habits came up because Anne was like, she's already spending my inheritance. So I don't even know why she feels like she needs to get it. She has spent much of my trust fund money on gambling and booze she was literally rolling around the country like going to casinos and like ranking up like a whole bunch of gambling debt
0: ew Mm -hmm.
1: um of course and talked about the physical and mental abuse she had suffered over the years and she had the scars to prove it she's like you think i put cigarettes out on my own arms i don't think so and in response marion claimed that her daughter was a sexual deviant. And she was just trying to protect the public from her daughter's irresponsible behavior. So
0: she's saying her daughter is going to have kids and they are going to be bad. Yes. So she's using the eugenics argument against
1: Anne. Rude. So she is claiming that Anne has been addicted to masturbation since she was six years old. She said Anne was attracted to quote men in uniform and negroes oh she said she has a preference for preference for the help and even flirted with a black train porter once wow and then there's a really wild story where she was like well Anne also tried to elope with a chauffeur who she was writing love letters to containing her pubic hairs like marion is giving these just like horrific details that like we can't even corroborate because people are like, do you have any of these letters? And she goes, I burned them all because they were terrible. Like, that's not true then. Also, it's like, again, we talked about at in the beginning. Anne wasn't allowed to have any kid friends. So literally the only people she ever encountered during her days were the help. Right. You know? Like, they were the only people she was allowed to talk to. She's got to talk to somebody. Yeah. So... And, like, then even at some point, the question of, like, Anne's undergarments were brought up. And it was, like, a big deal. They were, like, she has undergarments imported from France. So she, like, must be a floozy. It was just a nightmare. And it's interesting because Marion's stories did a lot to harm Anne's reputation. And Anne's stories were kind of, they were harming Marion's reputation. But then that was only doubling down on the defense's kind of argument that Anne shouldn't reproduce because they're like, yeah, Marion is an unfit mother. Unfit mother begat unfit child. Like so like Anne will be Mm. an unfit mother because Marion's an unfit mother. So like Anne didn't really have like a leg to stand on because all the shit she was saying, they're like, yeah, so like because you're the daughter of this person, like, yeah, you shouldn't be able to reproduce. So like. It just fucking sucked for Anne. Right.
0: Like, like the whole thing. This... Was like, yeah. I, I don't care if I can reproduce at this point. I yeah. just want money because that choice was taken from me. Yeah. Like exactly. She can't get that back.
1: No. So the actual trial started. And since Marion was in New Jersey, they started with their trial, their case against the doctors. So when the feeble-minded conversation came up and the doctors tried to defend their diagnosis, being like, we have the paperwork, she was declared feeble-minded, like, we did the test, (laughs) you know? Um... Another physician was brought in and he testified. He goes, she writes fluently in French and can converse in Italian. She is multilingual. She has read books on Shakespeare, French history, Napoleon Bonaparte, Marie Antoinette, King Lear, Dante's Inferno, the works of Charles Dickens. She is a woman of privilege who has received a world-class education. Like, she is not, fee- quote, feeble-minded. Like, she you do your just background. You Do know? Your background work. But, unfortunately, because they had the paperwork... No matter how flawed and they had the signed paperwork from her mother, the judge let this go on for four days and then dismissed the case against the doctors saying they acted lawfully because there is no case against them. There's absolutely like, a case. against. They them. were
0: bribed with money. That is illegal. We need the paper trail. <laughs> yeah. So let's ask the judge when the Battle of Hastings was. Yes,
1: exactly. So and it just fucking sucks because there was misdoing, but because like they technically had, like, this paperwork that proved that they were doing the right thing. Mm. They got away with it. They
0: went by the book. Mm-hmm. Except for the money that they were bribed with. Yeah. of course. So
1: then it came time to try her mother. And in the midst of it, Marion attempts to commit suicide in her East Coast hotel room. She survives but suffers long-term health effects. And the defense used this again against Anne, saying the only reason that Anne is suing her mother is so that she could stress her out to the point of death so that she could be awarded her mother's share of the inheritance. Oh, my gosh. I don't think Anne wanted that. Anne just wanted to, like, live her fucking life away from her mother. It just, it sucks. And the whole thing was awful, and at the end of it, nothing happened. By this time, Anne was exhausted. Her mother was obviously indisposed, and Anne was like, I haven't been able to make a lot of choices, so I'm going to choose to put an end to this. And when it came time to really start the trial, she said, I'm not testifying against my mother, which shocked a lot of people. And of course, without Anne's testimony, there was no case. So this one was dropped as well. They did reach some kind of settlement and Anne was awarded $150,000, which is not nearly enough of the $4 million that she was owed. Um, But she did get some money and public interest fell off soon after everything was settled. And the scandalous mother-daughter pair fell back into obscurity. Three years after the end of the case, Marion passed away from a cerebral hemorrhage. She had never really recovered from her suicide attempt. And to many people's surprise, Anne raced to her mother's deathbed to mourn her. Anne was the only person crying at her mother's graveside. I don't know if she really ever forgave her mother for what she did, but there was a weird bond between them. And this is not the mother daughter bond, which has obviously been severed a long time ago, but there was a bond because both of them had been involved in a very public sh- trial to determine how unfit they were to be mothers it was mm. like i don't know if any other people really understand what it's like to have the whole country looking at you and saying you should not have children right and she goes and that happened to both of us
0: simultaneously
1: yeah Anne went on to marry five times over the next 18 years the same exact number as her mother wow and she died of cancer at the age of 40 mm. but unlike her mother she did find happiness near the end She married a very nice man who reported that they were happy living in Mexico right by an orange grove. He said, you can see it outside of our window. Are you
0: kidding me?
1: I know. A dream. A dream. Her sterilization and the scandalous court case surrounding it didn't stay in the news long, but maybe it should have. As we said earlier, over 60,000 women were forcibly sterilized during this time period. And maybe if Anne's case was used for something bigger... We could have saved some women from this terrible fate, but instead it was used for gossip and scandalous fodder. And maybe if we had taken her case and the case of other women at the time seriously, it would not still be happening today. In the 1970s, over 70,000 Native American women were forcibly sterilized in the United States. It's said that one in four were sterilized. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. It was also happening to many Mexican women who were deemed hyper-fertile. The state said they didn't want these women to be breeding burdens to the taxpayers. Sometimes these would be under the guise um, of appendectomies. You know, we actually, there's a term for it. The Mississippi appendectomy is Mm. what they called being forcibly sterilized. And many times women would be forced to sign the waiver while they were in the throes of labor. Which, like, you don't know what's going on then, as far as I know. I've never sign been in it. this paperwork, your sign baby this needs paper. to be healthy, exactly. et cetera, et cetera. We're not going to go forward with a delivery unless you sign this. Right. Or sometimes they don't speak English and the paperwork is in English. Like, right. they do everything they can to do this in a really sneaky way, but legally to save their fucking butts. Sure. So that was in the 70s, but in 2020, as reported by the Center for Constitutional Rights, a nurse employed at an Immigration and Customs Enforcement detention center in Georgia revealed that detainees were kept in horrible conditions and some were subjected to hysterectomies without their knowledge. 2020.
0: This is so, this is during COVID. Yeah. People are being forcibly sterilized without consent.
1: And I also read that it's happening to like female prisoners too. Yeah. Because no one is checking up on them. For sterilization still remains legal on a federal level, but many states do have state laws forbidding it. And in California, there is a program to compensate victims, but it will never be enough because what was taken away from these women is irreplaceable.
0: It's and a, that it's I, a future.
1: It sucks. Like it's so terrible. And like we've talked about this multiple times. On I wish I could even point to the other episodes, but like we've talked about it so many times. Um, I don't know. I just.
0: I think sucks. I think we've done it two or three other times when we, um, we talked about uh, women of color in the South mm-hmm. being mistreated by doctors and society, and we also did one. Um, I think mean, the one was the Madrigal versus, like Quinlan case. Yeah, I it think. was like a Hispanic um, Latinx case yes and one was that was a in California, black women in the southern bible belt yeah because that was buck first there are two yeah. famous cases like
1: the madrigal case and buck versus bell right i think are the two really big ones um and yeah unfortunately it's still legal on a federal level which is absolutely insane yeah Oh my god! Ah, so that's it. That's what? Anne and the many other women that this has happened to I know. When I saw
0: this on the list, I was like, "Wow, we're finally doing it, huh?" I know. <laughs> it's like here we are. That poor girl. Well, thank you, mm-hmm. Alicia. Mm-hmm. What Me a Alicia. great, um, <sighs> what a great request, and what an amazing woman to learn about. And if yeah. you want to know more about her, go get the book. Mm-hmm. The unfit heiress. Great.
1: Mm. All right. Ah, let's do New it again. Guy <laughs>
0: On Thanksgiving, is I that what we're know. doing?
1: I don't know. You know my dates are messed up.
0: Thanksgiving is this week, this L- Thursday. Last week I said the
1: twenty first. I was like, it's coming out next week, the twenty first. You're like, no, it's
0: not. Yeah, that's not like, the twenty first. That's not true. That's this Tuesday. Um, who knows? It's either Thanksgiving or we take a break on Thanksgiving, and this is the week after. Yeah. Like maybe we put an old episode up on Thanksgiving. <gasps> yeah. Who knows? Like so I it's also my birthday on Thanksgiving. <gasps> it is. So I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's a whole thing. Okay. We'll figure it out. Though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want to know what you're drinking? I do. It's a gorgeous color. It's called the dive. Ooh. And I tried to replicate the look of the Mediterranean slash Aegean sea. You did it. I did my best. It is apple cider, coconut rum, blue carousel, and some lemon with a lemon garnish. But like, A fourth of a lemon, so it looks like a little boat. Yeah, it does. I want a little Ah. boat up there. Cheers! No Swedish fish this time. Mm.
1: Mm. Interesting. That is interesting. The apple cider and the coconut is so wild together, but I like it. I've never tasted this taste in my life yeah
0: (laughs) okay Mm. all right
1: i like it though i like it it a lot and also we thought we were going to be in brown city Mm -hmm. but we're not no this is kind of green 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 city um so that's nice (laughs) i will say
0: that it is a greek cocktail Mm -hmm. that you do rum apple um blue curacao and vodka so it just like replaced some ingredients i like like that Get away from the um Greekness a little and make it what we wanted. Perfect. I love it. It's a good cocktail. Okay. Well, I am doing Hydna of Skion. What do you know about Hydna? Nothing. Good.
1: I don't know if she's real or fake or what?
0: Neither so do I don't know. neither do we. Oh. <laughs>
1: Perfect, Great. But so I know you know you're in the, <laughs> you're, And I know you're in the ancient realm twice in a row. Listen, basically, it's, so. it's a dream. It's a
0: dream. <laughs> this is even older than Elagabalus. So here we go. Um, my two main sources other than Wikipedia were this article I read online called Ancient Greek Histories," which was very cute. Mm. Thanks for using that pun. Truly appreciate it. And the other one was a YouTube video called Five Great Women of Greece. Ooh. And she was one of the five in that video. Perfect. It's like a very long video, but fortunately, it's broken up into chapters. I love it when they do that so you can very easily find what you're looking for. Excellent. One was Sappho. Of course. (laughs) Of course. (sighs) So, um, Greek society, we've talked about a lot. There's some societies we've talked about here over and over again, but I'll always do the brief overview. We've talked a lot about Rome, Greece, Egypt, Mm -hmm. Great Britain, early America, Puritans. Mm -hmm. So, Greek society is traditionally a male-dominated society. Mm -hmm. Women's rights were divergent significantly, though, between different city-states because Greece was not a country and ancient Greece was not an empire. It was like the peninsula with a collection of city-states that all had different rules and regulations. In most city-states, women had no political rights, no inheritance rights, and rare educational availabilities depending on their area and their wealth. Like, if you were wealthy, you had more chances to be educated than Uh if you weren't, of course. Athens was the Greek city-state where women had the fewest rights traditionally, but there were city-states that defied these norms, like the island of Lesbos, the island of Crete, and the biggest example, Sparta. Education, physical training, the right to own property, this was all natural to women in Sparta, because they were the last line of defense Mm -hmm. when the men were gone at war, um, Sparta had their very own version of the Olympic Games, and they encouraged female activity and athletic prowess. But in general, Greeks put a considerable emphasis on women marrying at a young age mm-hmm. and fulfilling domestic roles, household roles, child rearing roles, being a wife, being a mother, interacting in the private sphere of your home. Mm-hmm um except in religion women did have some rights in religion there were a lot of oracles and a lot of priestesses that mm-hmm. were held very high in society but then of course they gave up kind of their rights to a family yeah this of course is an oversimplification of what was happening in ancient greece but i wanted to lay the groundwork a little bit so we knew where hydna was from okay in terms of famous women in ancient Greece, Hydna is the one whose life we know the least about. Mm-hmm. But her deeds receive a lot of praise from mm-hmm. ancient Greece, which is why she's still talked about today. Okay, Like her big one act of heroism made her kind of anomaly amongst the Greek women. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So excited to see what she did. She's crazy. Hydna <laughs> is from the city of Skione. Which is on the northeast peninsula, a northeast peninsula that like juts out into the Aegean Sea. So it kind of has like a little Bay Harbor thing mm-hmm. near it. Um, And her father, Scilius, was a renowned swimmer and diver. So that was what he did by trade. There are two Greek historians who wrote down some things about her father's actions. Mm-hmm. Herodias, who we talked about last two couple weeks ago with mm-hmm. Elagabalus, who just writes down whatever the fuck he wants and you yeah. can take his things for a grain of salt. And Persanius, which, of course, kind of similar, but mm-hmm. was closer to that time period. They were mm-hmm. about 200 years apart. Some things they report are exact and we have history that shows it's exact and other things are like way off of the narrative and we yeah. don't know where the hell it came from. Mm-hmm. But this happens, her story, in the way, way, way back B.C. Greece. We're talking the five, sixth century B.C. So 500 years before year one. Mm-hmm. The Persian-Greco wars are happening back then. In short, a lot of famous people came out Mm -hmm. of Greece during the Persian wars. Like Leonidas in 300, you know, who's like blotting out the sun with arrows or some bullshit. And Xerxes, who was obviously in charge of the Persians. Mm -hmm. So many tales came from this time period. Persia was an amazingly great empire that ran from the Pakistani-Indian modern-day border to egypt to up north to the black sea it was huge they had the peninsula that is modern day turkey which at that point was called Anatolia, um and that peninsula has some greek city-states on it mm-hmm. so persia wanted greece proper okay and greece was like nah bitch like we don't <laughs> we don't want that for us mm-hmm. they were not happy about it for a number of reasons persia The Persian Empire attacked and then left and then attacked and then left. They tried to attack um, Athens at one point and Sparta wouldn't help. So they were kind of losing. But then the Persians had trouble at home in Egypt. So they had to go to Egypt. Okay. Um, At one point they attacked and Sparta did help. And that's where the 300 story comes from. Okay. At one point they attacked and they had problems with their navy. So they had to leave in general. The independent Greek city-states united to stay separate from Persia. They pretty much win this battle. Okay, Persia does not get this little peninsula that they (laughs) wanted so badly. Good for them. Good for them. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's perfect. One of the male historians that wrote about the second Persian invasion of Greece during 480 BC talk about Scilius and... His daughter, Hidna, who played a pivotal role. Her story is told and re-told, but there's only so much of it. It's like super duper tiny. And the men who wrote about her are 700 years separated from her role in history. So, again, we have to take what we can get. Mm -hmm. Here's what we know. The Persian fleet is going to attack Greece. Mm Mm-hmm. A violent storm has erupted, or is about to erupt. So they go up the Gulf, like in this little peninsula mm-hmm. where Hydna is from, um, to try and avoid the storm. Okay, Xerxes is going to moor his ships there. Okay, Xerxes the first. He's uh-huh. going to anchor his show his ships off the coast of the mountain that's on this peninsula. He's like, I'm going to keep my ships here. Um, until the, a battle, a naval battle that's three days away. We'll have plenty of time, totally not a big deal. We'll have time to invade Greece. As the story goes, Scilius, who was the dive instructor, um, had taught his daughter how to swim. She was a powerful, powerful swimmer. She's probably in her 20s or something at this time. Um, They both swam every day. And as you know, if you live near water, swimming in seawater, golf water, bay water, river water is all very different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Swimming in stormy, violent water is different from swimming in calm water. Swimming in cold water is different than swimming in hot water. Mm -hmm. All of this Mm -hmm. takes training. But Hidna was well known in this area. For being an exceptional swimmer along okay. with her dad. Okay. Having been trained by her father, obviously the professional swimmer, (laughs) he trained her from a very young age and she was able to swim super long distances and dive deep down into the sea, holding Mm. her breath for (gasps) exceptional amounts of time, which is a skill today that people practice for like going for clam hunting and like all these other things. Oh yeah.
1: I mean, Kate Winslet can hold her breath for like what, like 15 minutes now, but that took a long time of training. It takes
0: a really long time and people like, your shoulders get more broad your lungs get healthier like everything changes in yeah. your body I mean, as you, you become Phelps, a, is a monster yeah Such a, he's got the weirdest arm span ever Craziest longest body. arm span There's so many kids now too what is he doing really
1: yeah i only is he's in like arizona just completely deserted his mid-atlantic roots yeah how dare they the desert how
0: dare they <laughs> okay. where's the water michael <laughs> <laughs> Arizona not in the desert enjoy your million dollar pool yeah I hope, Anyways, you're, having, I hope you're having a blast I, I hope you're having a blast god bless <laughs> <laughs> thanks for all the medals that we celebrate here Thanks, in Baltimore thanks for putting your face on the side of that Under Armour tower I love it that one's pretty good I do like it
1: He <laughs> <laughs> looks like he's jumping into the harbor it's great <laughs> which
0: who would do that um, I saw I saw did you see it I'm not okay. I'm not going first. Guys,
1: big news for Baltimore. We are opening up the harbor to swimmers. Chicagoans unite. Come back. This we won't kick you out this time. Is crazy. I we, don't know if it's a good idea.
0: <laughs> we've been working so hard to we make the been. harbor healthy for yeah, like years. what, two decades? Yeah. It's been, pe- it, this has been like It's been in the works. I can't believe it when I saw it. I know. I used to be like, girls, don't even get cl- don't even breathe near don't it." Get close. I, it's, like, more dangerous than COVID, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm, like, sucking the meat out of crabs. That yeah, come, <laughs> out of come out of that water. I'm, like, yeah. mm.
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, very exciting. Yeah. So, anyways. Disgusting. She could swim in there, I bet. Yeah, I bet. And be fine.
0: You know. She'd well, because be she would good. just hold
1: her breath the whole time, you know. Not yeah. Breathe in the water. Yeah, there's no.
0: <laughs> Nobody <laughs> breathes underwater, Katie. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> That's not a thing. So... This father and daughter decide that they are going to assist the defense of Greece and fend off these Persians. The father and daughter bravely dive into the sea. And swim a very long distance. Some say 10 miles (sighs) there and back. But I mean, that might be a guesstimate. It's very stormy water. How long is the channel? I have no idea where the boats were versus where her town was. It's it's huge. This is like a very huge gulf off of the Aegean Sea. Okay. So some say she's swimming 10 miles. Hold
1: on. Uh, I need to look up. Damn it. I'm gonna show you where she is. So I'm trying to think about the English Channel because people do swim that. Yeah, and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How many? How mon- far is that's that? That's 21 miles. So okay. Ten miles. So ten she, there, ten back. She could do. Tw- yeah, she could definitely do. You're a good do. swimmer. If you're it's a also good stormy, swimmer, but well, people have done the that. The English Storms, Channel is yeah, a right. nightmare. So and it's I cold. believe that she. I be- let's say it was yeah. ten miles there and back. Twenty miles. You swim. can do it. You that's can do crazy. it. Crazy. Okay.
0: So, 10 miles to these boats. They're swimming mostly underwater, holding their breath as long as they can because it's super stormy. So, yeah. they're coming up, going back down. They have knives strapped, <gasps> like, to their legs and arms and stuff because they're going to need them. Very Hunger Games. So Hunger Games. <laughs> I, I like to think she's carrying it in her teeth. I don't <laughs> But they get there, and um, they start cutting <gasps> the anchor ropes. Oh. So the Persian boats that were floating just a moment ago start to float closer together and then crash into one another. Very cool. All these boats are crashing. They're going down, starting to sink. A third of the boats are lost. A third. Oh, my gosh. And her and her dad swim home. Having stopped all these ships. Little sneakies. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. Love that. Now, the other account by Mr. Herodias' nonsense man (laughs) just talks about her dad and says that he had been working for the Persians but had long time been thinking of defecting. And when the storm came in, he dove down to take the treasures from the deep. But then... um, G- defects to the Greeks and tells them that there's been a problem with the Persian ships, no mention of the daughter. Okay, But also this is crazy because in gratitude for this, Hydna and her father have statues dedicated to them on like this most sacred of Greek mountains. Oh wow. Like with all these other mm-hmm. Greek heroes, there is a statue of her and a statue of her dad. Detailing what they've done and there's a votive next to her where people can put orange offerings <gasps> oh. and like different peels of um, fruits and things. Yes. Um, and that statue was so uh, prized that when the Roman Empire plundered that area, Nero had hidden a statue <gasps> sent back to him. Wow. So the statue ends up in the Roman Empire. That's like Mona Lisa
1: and Napoleon Bonaparte.
0: Yeah. He's it's like, I want it. I want that statue <gasps> of that woman. Amazing. And that's why we, like, still have the statue of her today. I love that. So that's really all we know about her. But uh-huh. because of this, I was thinking, like, maybe I should talk a little bit about the history of swimming. Yeah. And women. And I just wanted to talk about, like, a few stories. Yeah. The obvious, the most obvious one is the famous one where the boat goes down and the wi- it, like off of Long Island and all the women are in Victorian dresses oh, yeah. and then they can't swim because uh-huh. they were never taught how to swim. Yeah, and,
1: and they're they- wearing really ridiculous things dresses that are so heavy <laughs> and then they drown, which is crazy.
0: Mm-hmm. But during the late 1800s, people flocked to Cape Cod beaches for seaside activities such as swimming. Surf bathing, diving, the only activity for women involved in the ocean was jumping through the waves while holding onto a rope attached to an offshore buoy wow so the, we can't we're
1: like we're not even at golden retriever level no like, yes we,
0: exactly you can't even go out we on your less own of the dogs <laughs> it's on the beach. crazy <laughs> Their heavy victorian slash edwardian style bathing suits were often burdensome or cumbersome and they dressed in like these black knee-length puffy sleeve wool dresses wool in the water which just like it soaked it had a collar they had to wear bloomers it was like crazy it had ribbons and bows on it to make it pretty and really it served to make it so that women were unable to yeah function in the water Uh how can it be enjoyable up until the 1920s women were required to be covered from head to toe and wear a skirt and shoes while swimming. In like the Olympics. What? And the Olympics that started in Greece, mind you. All of this clothing made it harder for women to swim fast, making people believe that women did not have the physical capacity to swim.
1: It couldn't be the shoes. Couldn't
0: be. (laughs) Couldn't be. Couldn't be. (laughs) (laughs) The
1: fucking patent leather shoes that they were forced to wear. Insane. Knee-high socks.
0: Knee-high wool socks. Insane. In 1910 in the Olympics, due to the long skirt rule, which required them to wear long skirts so they would show no leg, the only events that were allowed to be swum by women were the 100 free, 300 free, and 4x1 relay. So very, very short races. Um, And women were also struggling to maintain a consistent training regimen because they were required to take a week off each month while they were menstruating. Swimming is a sport that requires dedication and constant practice, and it wasn't until 20 years after they're allowed in the Olympics that the tampon was even invented. So women would have to, like, take off if their schedule was off, their menstrual cycle, which is just Insane if we think about it now. Yeah. And if you can believe it, it was not until the 2020 Tokyo Olympics that women gained full equality in swimming events when women were finally allowed to swim the 1500 meter freestyle. 2020? The first time that all the men's events and all the women's events were the same. Wow. That's crazy. So recent. (sighs) And all of this has to do with a lot of things. It has to do with saying that. Women don't have the physical ability to do it. It has a saying that women religiously should only be wearing certain things. It has to do with controlling women because of menstruation. It has to do with controlling what women do and show with their bodies. Mm -hmm. But when we look back 2,500 years ago, women could do this, and there were statues made of them for doing this and we often think like oh women didn't exist in ancient warfare and that's not true we just didn't write it down and we see that in the discrepancies that Mm -hmm. these two greek historians Mm -hmm. are choosing to write what they want to write and some are leaving out the women who played critical roles in ancient war which means there are many many more that we will never know about well
1: (laughs) and frankly it's like my money is on that they would rather leave them out than put them in for no reason. Right. Exactly. That's the more likely scenario. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
0: So all sources say that she swam 20 mile round trip that night in stormy seas, Mm. less than ideal conditions. And I just think that that's an amazing testament to the fact that women have always been able to um, achieve the same athletic tasks Mm -hmm. as men they just have been put under parameters that have not allowed them to achieve for a very long time. Yeah. Wow. And that's the story of Hidna. I love Hidna. What a great little tale. I love it. Tale to tell.
1: All right. Well, now we need to talk about these two women in conversation with each other in a little segment we like to call Just Just the Two two of Us. us. Okay. Obviously, (laughs) these stories are not Overly similar, but I also think they have this similar core. Yeah. Like you said at the end about controlling women, you know, and controlling women's stories. And and their their bodies. And their bodies. Their
0: physical, what they're physically allowed to do with their own bodies, which we're still struggling with today. Exactly.
1: I mean, we just said 2020, like women are still being sterilized and women just got. Equal participation in swimming Olympics
0: For the countries that let you Yes Right like there are countries that aren't going to let their women Wear bathing suits and swim Right And it's just It's interesting because what we're
1: talking about Are all sorts of activities (laughs) We're not talking Like swimming is Could be an Olympic level Or just an everyday thing So you don't die if you get pushed in the water Or fall off of a boat You know what I'm saying And the fact that like all these women were just stripped of the even just the opportunity to have children. It's like just this like maybe I wasn't going to maybe I'm never going to swim. But also like I should be able to I should know how and I should like not I should be allowed to learn how to swim. You know
0: what I'm saying? I hate swimming. I'm so glad I know how to. Exactly. Like, I also hate having children. Yeah. I'm so glad I have them. Right. <laughs> like, you know I'm what so I mean. Glad I had the right to. Right. Like, there's all these things that it, it's so crazy to just tell somebody. I, I, yeah. it. Like, sometimes it blows my mind when I'm like, you just tell half of the population you can't do this, right? Well, and it's interesting because
1: we're obviously patriarchal culture back then. Still patriarchal culture, culture when she, when Anne was alive. Still pretty much now. So. It's interesting because a question that I was thinking about was if they were so worried about, you know, achieving negative eugenics, why was it never a question to, you know, well, it probably was. And I'm just very ignorant of what sure. it actually is. Sure. But it feels like there were way more women sterilized than men. And I'm sure that mm-hmm. there were some men that were sterilized. absolutely, You know, but uh-huh. it just feels like that's never... The onus is never put on men mm-hmm. to like control their behavior. Sure. And it's like how many of these women also were then sterilized after they were sexually assaulted because they were seen as promiscuous. Right. You know.
0: <laughs> and it's men like, um, sowing their wild oats acceptable. Right. A woman,
1: absolutely not.
0: Out of wedlock, absolutely not. A man getting down to his knickers and swimming, uh huh. Fine. Fine. A woman. Absolutely, absolutely not. not. It's just the the total separation in what you are physically allowed to yeah. do, mm-hmm. and men have always had that wider birth
1: of, of space and freedom. And and I am sure that uh, I'm sure that there were men who were sterilized without their consent, absolutely as well. But I feel like the not,
0: Irish were probably a group oh, of probably. men that were treated very poorly in that regards. I mm-hmm. also probably men of color too. Like yeah, I'm sure, sure
1: I'm sure that it did happen, but. I, f- I don't think that it happened as much as it did to women mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. um, and there's also the fact of the matter is that like maybe it wasn't reversible back then but like vasectomies are reversible yeah <laughs> getting your tooth tied and taken removed taken out <laughs> removed yeah is
0: not like no it isn't anyways um, <laughs> I was thinking about Anne's dad. Yeah. And like what if Anne's dad was alive? Mm-hmm. Would it have been more like the relationship between Scilius and Hydna? Yeah. Because he taught her his craft and we don't know it could have been his only daughter. Maybe he would have taught his son if it was a son. Yeah. But he didn't. He mm-hmm. had a daughter that mm-hmm. we know of. Mm-hmm. He taught her how to swim mm-hmm. and they pretty much led to a later on Persian naval defeat because they got rid of all those boats. Yeah. I know. I mean
1: it's just what happens when you actually believe that your daughter is capable. Right. And it's interesting because I was kind of sad that like these are so two such typical stories In a lot of stories we cover, especially of like women in the 1700s, 1800s, there is a dad that is super supportive and a mother that is a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> like it kind of makes me sad that they're like we have two stereotypical stories like Mother-daughter relationships are always portrayed as fraught and dramatic and terrible. And father-daughter relationships, there is something very sacred about them, Mm. you know? And, like, we're two people who, like, do have very good relationships with our dads.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know?
1: Um, And I don't know. I just thought it was – they were two very, like, stereotypical stories in that sense where it's, like, both – daddy's girls and Mm. unfortunately Anne got stuck with her mother who was a nightmare and thankfully for Hidna she got to explore that relationship more but like Anne didn't get to and like Anne's life would have been different as Peter So had lived. different. So different. Peter would have never let that happen. But
0: I also, I kind of blame him a little bit for predicating her getting the inheritance based on whether yes. or not she is children. Why bring
1: Anne's children into this? Why
0: does it have to be second generational? Why can't your daughter just get the money she's going to get and you don't have to worry about the grandchildren?
1: Well, I wonder if he wanted to protect... I'm sure he knew that Marion was nuts. And I wonder if he was like, that's going to be a good thing. I'm going to protect Anne's money by putting the stipulation in there, not realizing the lengths that Marion would go to to get it. Right. And I'm wondering if that was it. I will never know. And that's another thing about these both of these stories. There are some things we will never know. No. We'll never know. What could have been if Peter had lived? We'll never know how many women were actually sterilized because I guarantee you the numbers we have are far below way low, way what was actually low, happening low, 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 low. Um, back when Marion and Anne were alive and in the 70s when all of those women were being sterilized yeah. as well. Like the numbers are much lower than they actually are. And
0: we'll never know about Hidna. We'll never exactly. know. If her and her dad were actually swimmers, we'll never know if this actually even happened or if it was just a tale to explain why yeah. the ships all got into a storm. Either way, it's a story about a woman who, like, went past it
1: yeah, and well, fought
0: for it. And I think that's what's cool about Anne, too. Mm-hmm. She brought her story to the media, which made other people willing to talk about it. Yeah. Like, let's talk about the women in our lives that have been sterilized because I'm guarantee at that time many women knew somebody who was. Exactly.
1: mm, mm interesting. Very. All cool. right. Well, now that we're near the end, who would you like to toast this evening?
0: I want to toast all the women who are playing sports that they told aren't for them. Mm, yeah. I think it's great. I love seeing women in play American football. Mm-hmm. I love seeing girls doing like Traditionally masculine sports like wrestling and mm-hmm. boxing, and like all the jiu these things that make you muscly and grapply and scrappy. Mm-hmm. Like, I like it.
1: Yeah, it's very cool. So, cheers. <gasps> cheers, to them. cheers, cheers, cheers. <laughs> I'm going to toast all the women who fought back against this horrible practice of forced sterilization. And I want to toast all the women who were trying to conceive and then figured out the truth. Because a lot of women, when they are having a hard time getting pregnant, blame themselves. Mm -hmm. And then to figure out that it wasn't your fault, it was a stranger who just did this to you and you had no idea. What a scary thought. Terrible. I mean, that messes with your brain in a way that like, the idea that like so many women don't know until they're going to like a fertility specialist. Absolutely horrible. Um I mean, no woman should be forced into being a mother, but they also shouldn't be forced to give up their dreams of becoming a mother if that's what they want to do.
0: So, here's mm. cheers.
1: All right. Now, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week?
0: I loved this four episode mini series <laughs> called Beckham.
1: (gasps) I want to watch it. I really do. It's so
0: good. I think my absolute favorite thing about it is it is a story about a little boy soccer player from England Mm -hmm. and a little girl pop singer from (laughs) England who met and fell in love and that was it.
1: I just love their relationship. There's no drama. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's like times that the tabloids accuse of cheating Mm -hmm. and this, that, and the other, but there's no credence they give to that in the show. Yeah. it is just. This couple making it through the hell of paparazzi and back together. Mm. It's a beautiful. I was like, it was more of a love story than a sports story. And I was like, I'm fucking obsessed with this. I love it. That's so great. Producer and Eliza and I watched it together and it was so fun. I love it. Caroline doesn't join us on Sunday mornings. Jake and I watch sports documentaries on Sunday mornings for an hour when we wake up. That's so great. We'll just lay in bed. It's the only day that we like don't get up and like go, go, go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and Liza usually stumbles in like halfway through the episode and just lays in between us. I'm <laughs> it's like, get out <laughs> But it's perfect. It's so fun. I love that.
1: What are you into? Um, I'm going to promote the 2016 all-female Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> so I had jury duty this week, and that was the movie they were playing. Sure. And I was totally swept up in it. So I was, funny. I loved it. And I thought it was so funny. All the guys from the original movie, uh, Harold Ramis was dead, but I think they had like a bust of him in the movie or something. <laughs> um, but they all made cameos. The jokes were so good. That one uh Thor what's his name I don't know the guy who played Thor plays like the ditzy assistant (laughs) let me tell you the jury room was Hemsworth Hemsworth. yes one of the Hemsworths the Chris Hemsworth Chris um because Liam was married to Miley Chris Hemsworth is so fucking Liam was Gail you mean Yes. yes so They, he is so funny in this movie because he's like the ditzy blonde assistant, but he's like this hyper masculine man. The jury room was rolling at like (laughs) every joke in this movie. Like, and like, of course, like the four main women are all classic professional comedians. Comedians. They are so funny. Oh yeah. And by the end of it, I was crying in the jury room, (laughs) which is not surprising if you know me, but (laughs) Yeah, I thought that it was so good, and I feel like people shit on it a lot when it came out, and I don't think it deserved any of that. I think it deserved an Oscar. (gasps) So watch it if you were on the fence. It's so good. Yeah, it's great, great, great. (laughs) All right.
0: Thank you, everybody, for being here. We love you. Now that I have told you how many wine glasses I break you know you need to join us on Patreon yes for as little as one dollar a month you can help replenish my wine glass fund because I break them honestly for you
1: for you and for us (laughs) Uh, but if you don't want to do that you can also just rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. that also is just a free thing you can do that means the absolute world to us Uh, but mostly we want you to never forget that well behaved women I have nothing (laughs)
0: They don't swim 20 miles. Okay. Oh, yeah. They don't swim 20 miles. (laughs) And they rarely.
1: They can swim.
0: Goodbye.